Hey, it's Ross Payton with Rolling Film Radio. This is RPPR episode 184, VTubers and tabletop role-playing games. What are VTubers? What's a tabletop role-playing game? Well, if you don't know what that is, at least the second part, I don't know why you're here. But we're glad you're here at Roleplaying Public Radio. All right. And with me is Sean. I have returned. You have returned. And we're, we're glad to have you there, uh, Sean. Um, you've been surviving the, the whole place, the whole thing. Yeah, Th- That's a good thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's no, a, it, it definitely it's a, is. It's a great goal. It, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so we're going to, uh, Sean has, uh, uh, much to tell us about VTubers, who they are and what kind of role-playing games they play and, uh, why yes. you, sh- yeah. So, and, uh, it all comes from Japan apparently. So, uh, at least the VTubers do. Really. Uh, it's a big part of it. Yes. A big part of it. Okay. So it's, see, it's more complicated than I thought. It, it's very nuanced. <laughs> uh, but before we get into that, um, we do have a bit of news. Um, I have for the time being our, if you're a member of the RPPR Patreon, uh, even at the $2 level, uh, be sure to link your Patreon account with your Discord account so you can join the RPPR Patreon Discord. Because every Sunday night, uh, every every Sunday at 6 p.m. Central, uh, I'll be streaming weird videos and hanging out. Not just me, but other members of the RPPR cast show up on a regular basis, like Aaron and Tom and uh, Baz. And uh, it's a lot of fun. We watch a lot of really cool shows and stuff. Um, weird things I found on YouTube. Maybe some classics like Legends of the Hidden Temple. Who knows? You just have to show up to find out well, what's going on. Um, there is a pinned message in the live stream chat channel about what we'll be showing uh, the next week and when that is. And But yeah, for this summer, at least, we'll, we'll be doing Sunday nights because that's a consistent thing for me is uh, pretty good because I'm, I'm pretty busy at this point uh, time of year uh, for various personal stuff. Uh, but also I am working on uh, new things like I'm still working on a... Um, write-up of Night Clerk uh, as a full scenario that you can run yourself. Uh, the Call of Cthulhu scenario classic, although we'll be writing it as a, I am writing it as a systemless thing. Uh, so uh, you can run it in any number of systems. And I am going to be sort of doing it as a zine. Um, so yeah, that'll be its own standalone product. And I'm, I'm looking forward to showing, sharing with you all, but I'm not quite done with it. Uh, but uh, let's see. In other things, I am also uh, on the RPPR Patreon Doing Arkham Cold Cases, which if you are an RPPR show play, you probably saw that on our, our April 1st episode. But I've, I've released three more episodes on our Patreon. Our latest episode features Caleb as the guest. And people really like it. It's very funny. Um, so it's basically a, a comedy uh, a podcast about looking at Lovecraft stories as though uh, uh, from the eyes of a true crime investigator who doesn't know anything about the <laughs> mythos and just doesn't know it. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, the, from beyond, well, that's just some servants disappeared. So obviously it was something, some kind of weird shenanigans were going on, but nothing supernatural. I kind of look forward to whenever you, if you haven't already done it, mm-hmm. whenever you do the thing on the doorstep. Well, yeah, uh, we'll be doing a lot. Of, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of Lovecraft stories to cover, so that might be our next one. But um yeah, so uh, check that out. Uh, the, all the episodes are on the RPPR Patreon, and I'll put a link to a preview uh, so you can check that out. But um, yeah, that's 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 it for the news. And uh, but Sean, how you been doing? I live still. You do live still. No, I mean just basically hanging in there. Try to pick up a few hobbies. Not doing so hot on that, but I think everybody tried a few things. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the most part, I baked banana bread. There you go. Twice. Awesome. No, three times. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. 
Yeah. Were they sure? Were they Cavendish? I was actually, my best attempt was the first time. I, I, I fucked it up the second and third time. You overthought it. I overthought it. Okay. Uh, yeah. It was the Cavendish poison. <laughs> <laughs> you need some Gros Michel. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but one of the things you've been doing uh, this pandemic has been watching VTubers. I've been studying a whole lot of weird off-topic things, and VTubers came into my uh, general sphere early on in the pandemic because I got rando-linked something and sort of kept trying to scratch my head and figure out what was going on. I mean, I was tuned into Kizuna Ai when she first started up, mm. but um, I was getting linked to a lot of stuff from Sakura Miko, mm-hmm. one of the whole live Generation Zero performers who was technically with CoverCorp before the whole Alive project started. So... In case you don't know, so with Hololive, they're one of the major agencies. They kind of act as sort of uh, a talent agency for VTubers. And the whole thing with that is a lot of the major agencies do this. Niji Sanji is another big one. Niji Sanji focuses more on getting as many people out there as possible and have fewer controls. Hololive is a lot more polished and almost tries to push kind of an idol thing. And before anybody jumps on that, I don't have a high opinion of the idol industry myself, but Hololive isn't quite as restrictive as actual Japanese idol industry professionals, but they still have like quotas to meet for amount of content generated and things like that. From mm-hmm. what I understand, obviously there's things that we can't know because there's contracts that probably prevent people from saying everything. Yeah. But, uh, so Sakura Miku was the first one I got tuned into and I was wondering why is this toddler verbally abusing everybody? Cause <laughs> one of her, one of her trademark phrases is uh, fuck you, but spelled F-A-Q. Mm-hmm. And she just shouts it randomly while shooting people in various video games. Mm-hmm. One of the weirdest ones I ran into early on that made me just go, okay, let's figure out what the hell's really going on here, mm-hmm. was her playing Grand Theft Auto V. <laughs> and she's doing these weird things where she's role-playing along with her own scenario. Mm-hmm. But one of them, she just goes to a rooftop, grabs a sniper rifle, and starts shooting randos, shouting, stay home. <laughs> Whomst among us has not done that in GTA? Okay, that's, yeah, that's true. I mean, <laughs> usually I just go to Saints Row, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. But anyhow, so I kind of tuned into a lot of other things to kind of get more of that energy. Mm-hmm. So there were a number of different names, and I mostly stuck with Whole Alive. I checked out some of the other like independents that are coming up. There's a lot of independents coming up in the U.S. right now, mm-hmm. but I've been made to understand like actual full equipment is like expensive as hell, like thousands of dollars. Whereas well, the software itself is yeah. a lot cheaper. My my understanding is the biggest assessment is actually making the rig, the the three the avatar, yeah, uh, not even the hardware itself. But uh, I mean, if you're doing motion capture, which yeah, I've seen clips of them dancing and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, like that's that. that part's expensive. Yeah, but um, as far as just yeah, as far as just getting the two D avatar thing going, I mean, the major agencies will hire professional mangaka to actually mm-hmm. go in and do the designs. Whereas independents are just at the mercy of whomever they can find, mm-hmm. which can be great. But when you have the option of hiring a person who's a well-published, well-renowned manga author and artist or somebody you found off of DeviantArt, I mean, <laughs> what's going to look better? Yeah. So there's that. Um, so I kind of got tuned into it. I kept up with it off and on, mostly clips. I don't really go hardcore into anything. I'm not like watching streams constantly or anything. Yeah. I, I had difficulty watching regular streaming. Stuff. Oh, well, so the, uh, for those who, uh, I don't know if we explain the very basic, it's basically a person, oh, right. um, that there's animation software that's like, uh, interpreting a webcam 
and they mapping have, it to they, a model. It does face mapping, and you can also control some of the gestures and mm-hmm. head movements and such. Like a common thing you'll notice when a lot of them are doing like singing streams is they'll like have these almost over-exaggerated head movements while singing. Mm-hmm. So um, there's that. But yeah, so it's mainly like it's mainly face mapping software, but it can also go into a lot of other. And the issues. thing is that they're playing video games usually. It's like a streamer, but it's a it's a cartoon character streaming. They do a lot of super chat stuff, which is um, mostly them responding to the fans like a regular streamer. Mm-hmm. But then they also yeah they play a lot of video games, and some of them do. There is actually with Hololive specifically, they do put on like live shows mm-hmm. using like actual holographic projectors. So there's that aspect to it. So they're, they're like in a room in the back somewhere doing all the stuff and dance moves and whatever. And the avatar is up on stage doing whatever it's supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that aspect to it. And again, it just depends on the actual individual, but most VTubers, yeah, it's a little bit of mocap, mostly on the face, sometimes on the hands. And outside of that, it's them just talking, coming up with things. A lot of them have kind of, half characters they play, mm-hmm. which kind of ties in with me looking into pro wrestling, weirdly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, it's, they're kind of being themselves, but kind of playing a character, but more obviously. Right. And they'll have these whack-ass backstories. Well, like, well, it's like old school wrestling in that they can't break the illusion. Right. Yeah. But which they, is also kind of like an idol thing, I guess. You know? It is, actually, except the difference is they at least have one extra layer between them and somebody being really weird and trying to like stalk mm-hmm. them or something, which is you don't see their faces. Yeah. But, you know, they'll also have characters like one of them is supposed to be a, a magical rabbit or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pecora. And Jesus Christ. Yeah, apparently she blew up half a Minecraft server on multiple occasions. Um, <laughs> things like that. So, um, yeah. So, it's, it's, it's it, so <laughs> anyways, hey, we live in a cyberpunk dystopia. Here's proof. Uh, yeah, kind of. You, you can now be in a, anime, a cute anime girl and do just about anything. Yeah. Uh, or follow one and uh, she'll talk to you if you'll give her money. Um, that happens. Yeah. But there's also, there's also, there's also people using male avatars. Yeah. So that's actually pretty, pretty popular. Whole life specifically has the hollow stars. Yeah. I've, I've seen some VTubers that are like furries too. That does happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a wild world out there, but like, how does this tie into role playing games? Well, um, funny thing turns out I've, I've been running into a lot of it where, uh, different VTubers are starting to run games because mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people are starting their own actual play podcasts and a lot of people who, a lot of these VTubers will do collaborations. So um, in particular, I ran into some VTubers talking about role-playing games in general, which at first I'm like, okay, well this is interesting. I didn't really expect this from somebody who's claiming to be a virtual idol. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me more. <laughs> and one of them was going on about how much she loves playing call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. And this led to me finding out that, a different VTuber, uh, specifically for Whole Life, because that's the one I usually tune, tune into, honestly, uh, by the name of Shirakami Fubuki, mm-hmm. has for a while now been running Call of Cthulhu games for other members of the group. Mm-hmm. So she'll pull in like three or four people and run Call of Cthulhu. Unfortunately, none of these have been fully translated. Mm. So my Japanese is, isn't that good. Uh, I've forgotten more than I've ever learned. But I can I understand exactly how off the rails shit is getting. Mm-hmm. You can just pick it up pretty quickly. Um, on the other hand, so like that that started kind of a weird inquiry of uh, tabletop role playing in Japan in general for me. But 
More importantly, recently, uh, the Whole Alive English group started a World of Darkness game. Mm-hmm. In the new World of Darkness, it is a Hunter the Vigil game being run by Mori Calliope. Mm. So far, they've only had session zero with character creation mm-hmm. and kind of Mori trying to, you know, Callie trying to explain the whole setting. And one other member has gaming experience. The others do not. And they're just, it's already, it's already way the fuck off base. <laughs> She's doing intro scenarios for each of them. And she did one for Kiara and it's insane. So I, I think that's the, one of the most, well, I mean, it's very interesting, but like for me, the thing that really jumped out at me was that um, they're picking Call of Cthulhu and World of Darkness, you know, modern horror games or historical horror games rather than like if this was in the West. I mean, they probably the assumption would have been, yeah, why aren't they doing D&D? Why aren't they just trying to rip off Critical Role? Right. Um, D&D Pathfinder kind of stuff. Yeah. And that kind of goes into a topic I've been researching off and on for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um so I've I kind of I've always kind of tried to like figure out what the hell's up with tabletop role playing in different countries mm-hmm. in general. Japan is kind of a weird case. It's always been there mm-hmm. from early on, but it just didn't quite take off like it did over here in the states. Mm-hmm. And Call of Cthulhu recently, relatively recently, around twenty ten ish, I think, kind of blew up. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of reasons that are being given for it. Uh, manga and anime have long been drawing from the Cthulhu mythos, like directly straight out of Chaosium, to be mm-hmm. honest. Like not even like going straight to Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. And it kind of took off. And we actually, I sent Ross an article about some of the, uh, well, it's one of the better articles, at least. There's a, a fair number of them. The article is on a website called Dicebreaker. I can't attest to the how good of an article it really is as to its like reliability of its sources. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the, the guy, the uh, guy lets the sources slip. It's yeah. I'll put a link in the show yeah. notes. Horror RPG call of Cthulhu is bigger than D and D in Japan by Matt Jarvis. Mm-hmm. And it kind of reviews sort of how call of Cthulhu has blown up and it's replaced D and D and even replaced a native, uh, you know, a RPG native to Japan called sword world, mm-hmm. which we'll go into that in a little bit in a moment. But basically, Call of Cthulhu has really been a big deal for over a decade now, mm-hmm. and a little bit longer than that. It was one of the better-selling games in Japan prior to all this, but it's really blown up. So one of the big markets for this is they've been doing actual plays in Japan for before audio releases of actual plays. They used to call them replays, mm-hmm. and they just print a full-on uh, transcript of the game. Yeah, that's something I've actually thought about doing for RPPR games. And for me, it just got to be, Oh my God, that's so much work. Uh, I mean, it could work if you turned it into a, an actual play transcript of a famous actual play game. And then the scenario is printed in it as well. And you've got some commissioned artwork, maybe mm-hmm. that could work, which is actually a thing they've been doing. Um, sometimes they even turn these to audio dramas and get professional voice actors to come in and voice the characters. Mm-hmm. So it, changes things up a little bit like that, but it's been a huge market since the eighties. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, call of Cthulhu took off really big. In fact, the way, uh, the way it keeps getting explained is that in Japan, call of Cthulhu is the top selling RPG period. Um, like the latest edition of call of Cthulhu got released and supposedly the numbers go that the Japanese, sorry, language, the Japanese edition of call of Cthulhu, when just held off on its own, exceeds the sales of every other language edition of Call of Cthulhu stacked together. 
<laughs> That's the claim. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have full things. Like there's the article basically goes, we talked to somebody at Chaosium and they confirmed it. And I'm like, who? <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody from Chaosium wants to comment on that, you know, oh, yeah. that'd be great. RVBR investigates. <laughs> yes. Chaosium's lies. One of the, th- one of the things <laughs> in the art, yeah. One of the things in the article that did kind of like lift an eyebrow for me is they were trying to claim that it was partially because of, at least one of the sources was claiming it was partially because of a show that came out, God, I think it was early 2010s called Hayore Nyarko-chan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is the one where they try to turn entities into cute anime girls. Yeah, Nyarlothotep is the main character. Yep. And uh, the funny thing about that is, and I think it was the, I actually watched it. That's my deep shame. Anyhow, <laughs> I actually watched it, and uh, I think it was the first episode, maybe the second, I forget, but they actually do one morning, everything, everybody's like, it was a wild night. Okay, let's clean up. And they look at the, they have like a shot of the table, and it's just like a keeper screen and a bunch of <laughs> dice, and what is very clearly a marked up character mm-hmm. sheet. It's just like, okay, well, there we go. Yeah. Um, but D&D used to be really popular before Call of Cthulhu took off, but it was actually outsold pretty quickly by another game. And mm. this might be familiar to like older anime fans, actually, when I mention where it came from. Sword World RPG is kind of meant, it kind of marketed as the premier fantasy RPG in Japan. Mm-hmm. It's a really basic 2D6 based system. Yeah. They, the uh, most Japanese uh, TTRPGs use D6 systems from what I understand. Yeah. Like they, they're very, they don't use many polyhedrons, you know? Yeah. The, the, the lovely extra hedronic clicky clacks aren't really as readily available out there, but I imagine that'll mm-hmm. be changing. Um, but this, this one came out actually in pretty much the late eighties because of the popularity of a replay that turned into a series of novels that turned into an anime and manga and video games and a bunch of stuff called record of Lotus war, which was a big damn deal. And if you were watching like sci-fi channel in the nineties, you probably caught a dub version of it. It was uh, brought over to the States and uh, States by uh, originally us manga corp under the, uh, at least mm-hmm. that was the uh, imprint on it. Yeah. Yeah. Them. They're still doing Lotus war stuff, like a video game for it just came out. Yeah. Deedlet's uh, labyrinth or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they've been doing consistently. They've released multiple series. It's, it was a huge deal when it came out because it was, when it came out, the novel series and then the anime were the first Western style you know, Western style fantasy story that wasn't really being presented on a movie. They played it mm-hmm. straight mm-hmm. and that's kind of impressive, especially looking at the current market. Yeah. And I think Lotus war was influenced by uh, old school video games like wizardry and stuff like that. There was a little bit of that, Yeah, but it was actually a series of games, a series of campaigns run under uh, Dungeons and Dragons, the older version where they only had three alignments Oh, it's that old D&D. Yeah. Original D&D. Tunnels and Trolls and, oh, RuneQuest or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the three games. We have Tunnels and Trolls. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. So it, it ran from that, and then replays have been done ever since then. Call of Cthulhu did take off before then, but not quite as big as it is now. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the wake of that, a whole lot of replays have been made with higher quality. They are doing their own mm-hmm. you know, recorded actual plays now. Obviously, but yeah, actually, I know um, a couple uh, five or six years ago, I think there there's a magazine that does these replays um, and they publish them as like little article kind of things. They did want they did a series on Eclipse Phase. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, uh, actually, that's 
the Japanese edition of Dragon Magazine was mostly filled with replays and uh, serialized short stories. Like uh, the Slayers series was originally a series of short stories for Dragon Magazine in Japan. So, but yeah, no, that it's cool. They, they hit up Eclipse Phase. Um, there was also recently a, a project that was done, series of light novels that got turned into an anime, and I wasn't terribly impressed with it, but it was based off a series of actual plays done by industry professionals in the anime and manga industry. Mm-hmm. One of the big luminaries they had was Urobochi Gen. If you haven't heard of him, uh, he was the guy behind the original Fate Stay Night series. Mm. He also did uh, All No. Zero and Madoka. He's the guy that did Madoka. <laughs> you know what he's about then. Yeah. So not surprisingly, his character was a badass assassin girl. What? Yeah, I know. Surprising. Right. It's very surprising, actually. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's got turned into a thing called Red Dragon, mm. and then they made an automated out of it called Chaos Dragon. I, I, I wouldn't recommend it terribly. Maybe you'll enjoy it more than I did, but I tried. But yeah, no, so the replay thing is really popular, and a lot of Japanese RPGs are being brought over to the U.S. now. Unfortunately, Sword World is not one of them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the real reason, but I have a suspicion, because there's a bit of a story behind it, mm. and I don't know how true it is. Nobody will confirm. Mm. But most people have heard of it. That basically when, uh, oh, they were called Studio SNE, where the people that did the actual original actual plays, replays, and... They were like, oh, cool, we've got everything written up for this setting for Celia. Why don't we approach TSR to have our stuff published as a supplement in Japan? And there's varying versions of it. TSR just didn't think it would be a wise business move. TSR just flat said no. TSR told them to go fuck themselves. (laughs) I don't know what story is true. But basically, they just said, screw you. We're going to make our own RPG with blackjack and hookers. So they made it. It wound up outselling D&D in Japan. I would love to find an English translation if one ever gets made. Mm-hmm. It probably won't. You never know. I mean, with Kickstarter and uh, the success of other games, uh, Rutama, and uh, there was uh, there have been a couple others. The, that have oh, I know. Uh, Rutama is one of the big ones. Yeah. Made RPG, of course. Yeah. Got brought over for the novelty of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few people that are just pointedly bringing them over. Oh, what's the one with the bug people? Yeah, I don't know. Off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to screw that one up. Yeah, but there's there's been a bunch of games brought yeah. over. Like, it's actually I saw a thread on a forum where basically one company was specializing in finding indie Japanese games and bringing them over. One of them mm-hmm. was like, "You're a you're a skater, like either an ice skater or a roller skater or a rollerblader or a skateboarder, or whatever, and you use that to trace patterns in the ground to summon demons. That's the whole game. Yeah, I like that. So, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of I – mean, the RPG scene seems to be blowing up over there, though, which mm-hmm. is fascinating to me. I'm, I'm really curious to see what's coming out. I guess one thing we forgot to mention about Call of Cthulhu, though, is the demographics. Because mm-hmm. you see, this one's kind of weird. Oh, not weird, actually. I think it's great, honestly. Um, so, apparently, with Call of Cthulhu, unlike a lot of other RPGs, the uh, demographics are not what you'd expect out of Japanese nerds. It's – the majority of uh, Call of Cthulhu players in Japan are women in their 20s to 30s. Nice. Apparently, it's like a good, good, for them. It's a good ladies get <laughs> yeah. together. And I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, Call of Cthulhu, I've always thought is a better introductory RPG for people than D&D anyway. Because it's like, you're a person 
in like the real world. You know what you can do, unlike a D&D character. It's like, oh, you have spells. Well, what the fuck does a spell do? You know, like, I don't understand this. Like, um, But it's like, I know what a gun does. I know what the laws are. I know. The only yeah. X factor is the thing you're investigating and trying to figure out anyway. That's the whole challenge is, like, figuring out what the the, the supernatural a- uh, aspect is. So, yeah, I mean, um, and was- the system is percentile, which is like, you have a 70% chance to succeed. Oh, okay. As opposed to, like, you need a 12 on a D20, which is like, what? What? Yeah, the whole like God, Thaco. Yeah, freaking Thaco. But also just the whole well, ch- even even fifth head uh, yeah. has like things like oh advantage. You get to roll two dice and keep the highest one, but add five because of your character's bonuses and like yeah, straightforward systems are always better. That's actually one of the appeals that was listed. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, exactly with the whole you can understand the modern world a lot better because with a fantasy a fantasy role playing one of the bigger problems I think is this leads to the whole screaming about murder hobos thing honestly, but. Mm-hmm. You have an entire society that's not even Mm well-defined. You don't know your place in it. You're pretty much an outlier to start with. Yeah. And you're supposed to figure out, you know, who you really are and why you're with this other group of losers trying to go beat up a bunch of monsters in a hole in the ground. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah. Well, it's also things like what is, like, in the real world, like, you know, when you're pushing the limits to, like... Oh, I can be, I can yell at that dude at the bar. Right. As opposed to, well, I'm going to break a bottle over his head or I'm going to set the bar on fire. You know, like what the consequence, you have an idea of what the immediate consequences of that. Right. As opposed to, I start a bar brawl, you know, in Call of Cthulhu, you just straight up glass a dude and you're, you're going to jail. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Or you're on the run. So like, as a, but in a fantasy world, you could be like, well, I just, I cast fireball in the bar. Like that's inappropriate well why why not i'm a wizard i cast fireballs that's this guy has a knife on me i'm just yeah so like yeah fireball the most group friendly spell (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um no that's really cool that they they uh do that my understanding is also that they um frequently um use the call cthulhu rule set to sort of create their own settings rather than uh or modify the existing sort of you know cthulhu mythos setting i've I'm pretty sure that happens, like, even with RPPR, let's be honest. I mean, everybody's going to modify the setting Mm -hmm. they're using. I mean, I know there's, like, content purists out there that'll, like, throw a hissy if you have some weird modification of the deep ones. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, no, I don't doubt it. And a lot of there's a lot of uh, Japan-exclusive scenarios that actually do that. Mm -hmm. They're probably not getting translated. (laughs) It'd be nice if they did, if somebody would be really cool about it. It'd be cooler if they did. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's one of those things I'm, I'm kind of wanting to take a closer look at, but I thought it'd be nice to call attention to the fact that a place that stereotypically in the past, as far as nerd stuff goes, mm-hmm. is kind of having, well, they've been going through a renaissance or mm-hmm. a naissance. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's been a growing market. Yeah. So, and I'm like, I'm excited to see what comes out of that because again, a lot of those indie RPGs are coming over as well. Yeah. And that's going to be cool. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm quite excited about this. Uh, and I hope there, some of these, like these VTuber COC games get translated into English because that'd be interesting to see. I mean, I know a lot of them are just going to end up being people being worse than the goofiest games we've run. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it could still be entertaining and it could have good ideas, mm-hmm. but yeah. So right now the only one I know that's in English from an official, uh, group is that one going on with whole life English and that's slow going so far because mm-hmm. 
Callie's going to do individual intro scenarios for each player. And there are a total of, I think three, no four, mm-hmm. there's four players. So, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. That's, I'm trying to remember all the names. I'm sorry. There's just too many freaking people. Like yeah. the whole, the whole crew crew's running like 40 deep. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I think it was Gargora is one of them. The shark girl, one of them, Ina, whose whole thing is she's supposed to be a Lovecraftian monstrosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ka- uh, Kiara, who's already gone, uh, who's supposed to be a phoenix. Ah, crap. And there's one with Ame, who's supposed to be like totally, sh- totally not Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So there, and Ame is supposed to be the one that has gaming experience mm. for a tabletop. So we'll see how that turns out. I'm actually going to watch those. Yeah. I'm not usually big on, uh, I don't listen to a lot of actual plays, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of the few people who play, records more actual plays than listens to. Um, Kinda. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no shit. Uh, yeah, no, it's interesting too for doing this. Like, I like, I'm interested by this idea of like doing one on one sessions for each player to really focus on building up the characters before. Because, you know, at RPPR, our <laughs> aspect is no, let's fuck it, let's get at the plot. Yeah, well, no, as far as the uh, the individual thing, that was actually an old toolbox trick for Old World of Darkness. Mm-hmm. You were supposed to do like, it was suggested you do intro scenarios for everybody so they can get a feel for their character and their background. Mm-hmm. And the GM can figure out what is this person going to do with my scenario? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's good. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Timing wise, it would take so long to do. Right. Um, and you know, we were for us. I mean, yeah, for us, we're really focused on like, here's the story and let's, let's see what the characters do to it. Not they're like, who are these characters and what are they doing? And what, what are they about? Uh, which I feel like a lot of other actual play shows do uh, focus more on. But um, I don't know. Because, uh, again, I, I record more than I actually listen to. So I don't yeah, know yeah, the yeah. others that well. <laughs> yeah. So be interesting um, to find out what people are, will, uh, you know. I mean, I think that it is kind of an appeal for just getting up and going. Also, we don't like we do very short campaigns, I think, by. Uh, oh, yeah. Not like podcast standards. hundreds of yeah. episodes. Yeah, we do multiple systems and we don't stay in one thing for five years or whatever. So a lot of one shots, a lot of one shots. Yeah. I'm OK with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So well, that's cool. Uh, any other things you want to uh, share about them? Because, I mean, obviously, we're, we'll revisit this topic. Oh, we yeah. get more information, certainly more about the Japanese tabletop scene. We're just sort of. Looking at it, this is scratching an, yeah, the surface. This is an intro thing because yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot more in depth, a lot more nuanced stuff to go into, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's really our purview at this juncture. So, well, we got we we we'll, we'll I'm sure with the comments, I'm sure if you guys, uh, uh, you know, right. listeners out there, comment about what you want us to look at it more in depth, and we will definitely dive into that more. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, I'm kind of curious again. I might check out other groups that are doing this. Mm-hmm. Like I know oh, one of them, a couple of them who are. I think mostly American VTubers are working with some other people involved in the uh, anime YouTuber uh, industry mm-hmm. to try and put together a game like this. This guy, Connor V Dog VA or something like that, Connor Dog VA, and a couple of VTubers associated with him, uh, Neoners and something Mouse, mm-hmm. are wanting to do a D&D game or something. Mm. So I don't know if that's a thing that's ever going to happen. Instead of D&D, what about Base Raiders? Superpowered dungeon growling. You know, that would be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Or they could do, I mean, just to kind of, they could do Red Markets. Yeah, Red Markets. Well, Red Markets, a lot of people be like, oh, this is too, this hits too close to home. Uh, Actually, yeah, right now. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Or, yeah, uh, Phase Anatomy uh, on Kickstarter now. Um, they can check that out. But yeah, uh, 
Cool. Well, uh, when we get back, we'll have some shout outs or yeah, shout outs. Woo. <laughs> And we're back with our shout outs because, hey, shout outs. They exist. Uh, <laughs> uh. Uh, yeah. So uh, I'll start because uh, I have this New Year's resolution of uh, watching 365 movies this year, 2021. And I've made a hell of a lot of progress on that. Uh, I've been Excel sheeting everything because totally cool and normal uh, to, to do that. Um, and uh, I've seen some good movies, actually, not just bad ones. Um one of them is Psycho Goreman. Uh, Psycho Goreman is from the director of The Void, uh, but this is a love letter to 80s horror, Power Rangers, and uh, backyard cinema. Uh, it's about a monster um, that two children find. They find the magical gem that controls the monster, and so they can boss this this monster around, even though he wants to kill them and destroy the universe or the galaxy. Um, and it's it, there's go- cartoonish gore in it, it's very much monsters and other childish things uh, in in terms of RPGs, and it's really fun. I had a blast with some great dialogue and it, some great lines, and just very funny, very gory, very great practical effects. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite movies of twenty twenty one. That's so far cool. Yeah. So what about you? What's your first show? Um, well, I've watched a lot of shitty movies. I'm, I'm going to be honest, and I did that on purpose because mm-hmm. I just thought, why the hell not? Oh sure. Um, I mean. I'm guessing there's a whole lot of things I've seen that you probably already shouted out. I've also spent a lot of weird, like you just wake up at three in the morning. You've got nothing better to do. Movies don't sound so great at the moment. So you end up doing the weird equivalent, a modern equivalent of channel surfing mm-hmm. where you scroll through the YouTube recommendations mm-hmm. and wonder how the hell did that end up there? Mm-hmm. Most mm-hmm. of them I'm not going to mention, mm-hmm. but some of the cool stuff I have tuned on to sometimes before this, sometimes after um, one that I personally have kind of been on for a while is ask a mortician with Caitlin mm-hmm. Doughty. Um, she's a professional mortician. Actually, I think she actually runs her own funeral home and she's been a little more up front and center recently. She's actually done a number of Ted talks. She's an activist for uh, death positivity, natural burials and uh, transparency in the death industry instead of it does happen that a lot of funeral homes might be a little less than honest. Mm-hmm. So she's, trying to kind of turn that around. But she also has a channel where she covers a lot of, well, frankly, morbid topics, but that's kind of a thing for me. And she does it with kind of uh, straightforward honesty, but also a bit of humor. Mm-hmm. Totally worth checking out. Um, she's done everything from the weird meat rain that occurred a while back to that, how they recently solved the diet love pass incident mm-hmm. using software from frozen <laughs> because it's very advanced snow simulation software. Yay. So thank you, Disney, for enabling us to solve a terrifying, morbid mystery from uh, Russia during the Cold War. <laughs> You've done <Yeah>. good. <laughs> very good. But yeah. um, speaking of very good, uh, I've also been playing some video games. Oh, cool. Uh, one of them that I really liked is pretty short, uh, but very much in the Stanley Parable vibe kind of energy is Super Liminal. Uh, it's a puzzle game uh, where you're in a place and you need to get out. And it, in order to, the puzzles are are solved through optical illusions. Um, like if you see something small, but uh, and you if you, see, you have a large object and then you put it down, 
and then you walk away from it. So it looks small to you. But you can still pick it up, and now it is small. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so kind of force perspective the game on some level. On in some in some there's other optical illusions that okay. they go through. So there's multiple things that they go through. But yeah, it's very much about perception um and reality and illusion it's very very cool um and it's only a couple hours to play through so yeah if you want a good puzzle game and you'd like the stanley parable this is uh this was your jam i'm still waiting for my i, I didn't play stanley parable as early as everybody else so i'm still waiting for that chivo where you don't play oh yeah long. i'm still waiting damn it yeah i got my god i got that a little while ago because the video game press like oh you can finally get this achievement i was like oh shit yeah, so whenever mine pops off, I'm probably going to go back and play again because my first playthrough was a it was a blast. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. uh, but no, um, I've again I've got a couple more mm-hmm. channels to go over than something a movie that I watched. But uh, casually comics with Sasha. Uh, so this lady Sasha just the best way of putting it is most uh, comic book channels you'll find are that it's usually some dude who probably runs a comic store. He's always really intense and talks about everything so badass. And here's the most current arc. And I wonder what's going to happen next, but it's going to be badass. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I really don't care. So I ran across this one because I was trying to answer an age old question for me, which was what the fuck is up with power girl? (laughs) Like seriously, every, every DC hero has like their, their entire thing pinned to their shirt. And she just has a hole. And that explains everything you need to know about why Power Girl is so popular. But um, <laughs> Sasha actually went into detail, explained the exact reasons. It's a great place to start, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, she also does a whole lot of old comics and weird things she's noticed that she's just kind of it, – it's, it's, it's what it says on the tin. It's casual. Mm-hmm. It's not intense. She does some dumb voices now and again, but it's entertaining. Uh, like f- through her, I've discovered that there were far more uh, old Silver Age comics where – Lois Lane marries somebody that isn't Superman and Superman's always like, ha ha that Lois. And I'm suddenly like, Oh my God, Lois is DTNTR and Superman likes to watch. <laughs> um, I do know that silver age comics, they, 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 the mentality back there was that they thought kids would only read comics for like a year at most. They could recycle plot lines yeah. if they've waited at least a year. And she does explore a lot of that mm-hmm. or she explores like, Vampirella versus aliens. Sure. Why not? Yeah. So she finds like the weird stuff and has like a little bit of a laugh at its expense and sometimes more serious things, but totally worth checking out. And again, it's low intensity. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of cool. So uh, speaking of serious though, uh, I did watch a serious movie that I I quite enjoyed, but it's not for everyone. So content warning, domestic violence. Um, This movie is called survival skills. And it's, I thought it's even brilliant, but like, it's such an odd movie because the premise he makes it sound like it's a, it's a movie to watch with your friends and to laugh and it's wacky and weird and like a little edgy, but like, uh, cause it's like a, it stylizes a police training video from the eighties. Uh, but the main character is this like impossibly good moral, like just sort of like homunculus, like formed out of nothing cop. And he naively gets involved in a domestic violence case, trying to help a wife and uh, an abused wife and her kid, teenage daughter, her teenage daughter uh, against a, an abusive husband um, and it doesn't work. And it's, you know, about the impossibility of justice and by, because of the system, like the system prevents justice from being done. And they, yeah. That actually is kind of a good topic. And um, I know there've been a lot of, uh, a lot of more comic book based uh, TV shows lately. that have kind of handled similar issues mm-hmm. in a way like, yeah, but this is done like as a David Lynch kind of like eighties surrealist. VHS. Yeah. Like, 
Stacy Keach is the narrator of the video and it cuts to him and he directly comments on the case. And like, so they have this really great actor and like, I mean, everyone acts no, no, is really great, but it like, actually sounds great. So it is great. It's just depressing and dark. It's not what I thought at all. It was going to be because I thought it was going to be like something I could show to friends, but this is no, this is, this yeah. is a, this is a, Ooh, yeah. Like, Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Cool. cool. So I think it's brilliant, but I, I just, God, it's so depressing. Well, I mean, like, sometimes yeah. really good uh, pieces do delve into darker topics. So yeah, but not like you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah, no, that's true. It's just like I did not expect that from because of the the trailer and whatnot. So. I kind of wonder if that was the, maybe the intent. I guess I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of shows. Anymore no, it's that, a legit art movie. It's a, it's a it's it's definitely worth watching if you're if you can handle that kind of thing. Cool. Yeah, it is intense. Uh, but yeah, you know, far less intense. I'll do the last of the <laughs> YouTube videos. Cause again, it's, it's been a long year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys covered this one or not. I would, it's been kind of really popular, but why the hell not? Uh, tasting history with Max Miller. Mm-hmm. The guy was basically put on furlough from Disney. He's got a, he's extremely photogenic, very good with very good voice, very positive attitude, still gets a cheeky joke in or two. And, uh, he basically reads, old recipes from everywhere between ancient Rome to colonial America. And he interprets them and tries, tries to make them and tries them out. He's done everything from actually making his own mead to uh, a specific snail recipe from an ancient Roman text, everything you can find. He's even making a book later. And now he's doing this thing full time because originally it was like, I'm temporarily doing this until I find out the disposition of my job with Disney and then he went like, yeah, I put my papers in and I'm doing this full time now. So it's a good channel. It's relatively upbeat and positive, kind of a flip side to the last entry, but uh, it's definitely worth watching. It's been going on for, again, since about the start of the pandemic. So there's a good backlog to check in with and some interesting cooking ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So something, yeah, less depressing than the last one uh, as well is uh, the last spell uh, which is a new game out on Steam, uh, probably other platforms, I don't know. Uh, that's where I got it. It's a, a video game in early access uh, about defending the last town. In a world of magic, uh, they develop magical uh, WMDs with magical, uh, basically, radiation that corrupts the entire world. There's only one town left, and the, the remaining wizards have got together, and they realize they can cast the last spell that would banish all magic from the world. And thus, uh, the problem is every single night, a horde of monsters comes out of the, the, the mists surrounding the town to attack it. And so you have to defend the town. You're the heroes uh, defending the town. And so basically there's a uh, turn-based tactical RPG aspect uh, where you fight off mon- waves of monsters. Um, and then there is the uh, town-building phase where during the daytime you can rebuild your defenses uh, buy better items for your heroes and uh, otherwise prepare and unlock things for future playthroughs and uh, you know new weapons and uh, bot, bot recruit more heroes and stuff like that. So um, hmm. it's quite fun. Uh, I've had a lot of fun playing it. Um, it is quite hard on default, but they do have modifiers to make it easier, which I appreciate because Jesus Christ, I don't want to ram my head again and repeat this. Like it's done per day. You have to survive like 10 days or whatever. So 10, 10 things. And I don't want to have to repeat the first three days over and over again. Cause like, 
guess what? When you unlock stuff, it gets easier because like you have weapons that can do more damage or hit more enemies at once. Um, Because a lot of it, like it is kind of tower defense, too, because like there's a lot of enemies that come at you. You have to like fight four characters, three or four characters while the fight off like 50 or 100 monsters. Um, But like 20 of them show up per round. And so you're just trying to down as many monsters as quickly as possible. Uh, And yeah. So um, anyways, it's a lot of fun. And um, and it's early access and it's only like 15, 20 bucks. So, yeah, cool. Check it out. So. Oh, and pixel graphics, like 16 bit kind of style. That's kind of popular lately. Yeah. yeah. But hey, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've been watching movies, too. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are shit on purpose. Yay. I know. So sometimes you have to watch bad movies to appreciate the good ones. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you find a diamond in the rough. And I did. It is an amazing movie from the 1980s mm-hmm. where a guy goes to his ancestral home, which is a run down little hovel, basically out in the middle of nowhere. that's burnt down and everything. And he gets a bunch of friends to come up with him. It comes off like the kind of thing that would happen in one of our episodes of uh, slasher flick. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> one character is a prof- shows up and does stage magic and then like sp- Spinning wheel, jumping wheel kicks something out of the air to show how <laughs> awesome he is. It's stuff like that mm-hmm. through the whole thing. It's called Demon Wind. And it is bad. It is really bad. But interesting side note, background. Mm-hmm. It was shot very cheaply. And the filming wow. was done entirely. Yeah. It was done entirely on film ends. <laughs> so that's a thing. Film ends being the little extra bits of film that nobody really uses at the you know end of a roll. Mm-hmm. So they just put those together and film their picture on that. <laughs> That's how cheap it is. <clears throat> but yeah, worth checking out. I think I saw it on Amazon Prime. So it's been a little bit. I mean, you sold me on it. But was it the wheel kick? It was the wheel kick. Yeah. It was 100 the wheel kick. Um, yeah, no, that sounds really cool. Uh, so, uh, yeah, if you want to watch a very sophisticated art film, uh, be sure to check out Demon Wind. Yes. Uh, anyways, <laughs> thanks for, uh, listening. This is RPPR episode 184. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Payton. Um, and of course we have Facebook pages and groups for role-playing public radio. And again, patreon.com slash RPPR. Be sure to check out, uh, if you can help support RPPR, uh, you join discord, get tons of bonus podcasts. Now we have years worth of content. Uh, we are going to be, uh, after hours, we'll be coming back later this year. Uh, I'm just trying to build up a backlog of good, funny things, uh, RPGs to talk about because, uh, that, that it takes time to find the really good stuff. But, uh, Sean and I are talking about some ideas. Yep. Uh, we're recording in person. Now this is our first in-person RPPR episode since the pandemic. This is the first time I've actually seen a friend since the pandemic started. <laughs> I know that's sad, but I, I'm not the only person who's been through that, been through that kind yeah. of thing. So yeah, well, I mean, I only started doing that like last <clears throat> month. Like, so I'm going to say, like, you know, yeah, it's okay to come out if you've you know gotten your shots and yeah. you're still cautious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I kind of just want to keep wearing masks in publicly, like when I'm going to the store, just because I don't want to get the flu. That's kind. Honestly, I'm I'm totally down with it. Also, because I'm horrifically antisocial. But um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you can ask. I showed up here wearing a mask. Yeah. Huh? So yeah, no, that's true. Uh, and I appreciate it. But uh, anyways, uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later. Bye.